Welcome to the For the Church podcast, another great gospel-centered resource from Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. My name is Jared Wilson. I'm an assistant professor of pastoral ministry and author in residence at Midwestern Seminary. And I'm here as always with my colleague, my co-host, my friend, Ross Ferguson, academic advisor to Midwestern Seminary. How are you today, brother? Uh, I have a in question for you that just came to mind. Okay. Just before before Love we it. said, like, record. I mean, this is like, a mailbag. Lots what, of questions. What, so what are we going to do? Here's my question. Okay. Did your girls ever have an activity that whenever they did it, it just instantly made you nervous? It instantly made me nervous. Just like they would say the activity and you thought, uh, that's going to make me nervous. No, nothing comes to mind. Okay. I mean, maybe if there were things involving like markers in sensitive areas that may end up yeah. on tables or something. Okay. But there, no, nothing like springs to my brain. If I said, Abby, roller skating, it makes me nervous. <laughs> okay. Abby, for her ninth birthday, uh, one of my twins got yeah. roller skates. Like like legit roller skates or like roller blades, like inline skates? Roller skates. So like the, 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 the four, four wheels. The four okay. wheels. They're, these are making a comeback, I Yeah, think. they're making yeah. a comeback. And she, so I have two twins, um, yeah. Abby and Eve. Eve is the one that tends to be more fearful and safe. Abby <laughs> tends to be the one that throws herself at the things that yeah. you should be fearful yeah. of. Our younger daughter was like that. So yeah. Abby got a roller skates and we said, look, just go up and down and do some practicing. A day later, she's going down a hill going, I can't stop, I can't stop. <laughs> and she was like, she's fallen over multiple times. Does she wear times. a helmet? Helmet, pads. Oh, okay, no. Right. Like, Abby, yeah. Abby has no fear in her, so we have to kind of pad her up before yeah, yeah. she goes out. <laughs> the other day, she asked me to come out. She's getting so much better. Good. But I am terrified <laughs> of her. And I'm like, I don't know if this is a dad thing where I want to keep my kids safe or this is a, an Abby thing who, I mean, she is known for her yeah. slight clumsiness of falling over and tripping uh, over and things. So, so that's funny. Our older daughter was the clumsy one mm-hmm. who she would like fall going up the stairs and things oh, yeah. like that. Our younger daughter was the one that would was the daredevil. She mm-hmm. would jump off of things, climb up things, yeah. roller coasters, the whole deal. And I, I do remember her on a tricycle driving off. We had this driveway at our home in Tennessee that had a drop-off. It was just like yeah. a little cliff. And it wasn't real tall, but it was for a little kid. Yeah, it's tall enough. Yeah. And she just full bore on her tricycle heading towards the thing. <laughs> I ran and grabbed her just as she was going off going the off. cliff. <laughs> and I thought she didn't wasn't aware. No. I was like, did you not know? And she goes, yeah, I was wanting, wanting to, to go. <laughs> <laughs> she was wanting to like jump. You know, yeah. she's like, I'm jumping the cliff. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I thought you just weren't even aware you're about yeah. to go off this thing. That was her. Well, that's what Abby's so doing. She She's going, going, you know, nervous a little bit. going down the hill on campus, and she was like, don't worry, Dad. If if everything goes wrong, I can just dive out into the grass. Like, <laughs> don't even hint to me that something can go wrong. <laughs> Something's going to go wrong. But I never thought I would have to say these words, but when she first put them on, the words that came out of my mouth were, Abby, no skating near the TV and no skating near the fish tank. <laughs> okay. And when I said I thought... No skating in the house. Like, yeah. let's, let's do that. Let's do that. But now they all of them want to skate. And the thing is, I am the most clumsy, non-coordinated <laughs> person. Like, we went ice skating in December 
and I I didn't fall down. I fell up. Like I launched myself into the air and crumbled on the ground and the kids just thought it was funny. So now they've been very <laughs> clear that they're learning to roller skate and why am I so fearful for them? Because I'm the one that's bad. And I'm right. like, because I know how much it hurts. Um, but yeah, I'm... I'm yeah. And I'm, I got to pay the hospital bills. And, well, yeah. yes. I'm a, I'm a dad of a middle schooler now. That terrifies me. I'm a dad of someone with roller skates. That terrifies me. I'm just in a new season of parenting where yeah. I'm like, you're no longer little kids. Well, and a word of encouragement to you, though, it just gets worse. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I worried when they were little. My prayer life has transformed, mm. sending them away, mm. sending them out. You think, oh, when they're adults, like, you know, no, yeah. I would actually think about them more and worry about them more. You feel like you can, you can control more. Yeah. Even there's, there's, there's lots of things, as you just you know, demonstrated, that make you nervous when they're under your roof. But you feel like maybe I can control these things. Yeah. I control the environment. I can tell them not to do something. But once they're out, man. Like driving. I remember oh, the day. Oh. So, like, we have Life 360 yeah. uh, when our daughter started driving. So we could just kind of see wherever they were and everything. And, you know, they're kind of like, oh, you're, like, spying on us. Like, no, this is like, if you don't show up, I yeah. want to know where you last yeah. were. I'm not, like, stalking you. I just, it's a safety thing. And, you know, Grace moves up to Pennsylvania, and the, one of the first things she did was turn off Life 360. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, man, I watched too much true crime, you know? Like, I need to know where you last were. It's not like I'm just zooming in to see where you're at today, yeah. you know? And I just, oh, okay. I've got to trust the Lord. Yeah. Got to trust the Lord. Got to trust the Lord. Hey, it's a mailbag episode. We got mm-hmm. a great list of questions here. The questions just get better and better every time we ask. In fact, there was a number of them. If you submitted a question in my most recent ask— and you don't hear it on this episode, please know, like, I'm saving these up. So we'll probably come back. No guarantees, but a lot of them are really good. And if we don't get to it, there's some that I'm like, oh, i got to save that for a future episode. So if you don't hear your question, don't panic. We'll probably come around to get back to you. This first question comes from Josh on Facebook. Josh asks, is seminary training required or necessary for effective pastoral ministry? And as a sort of follow-up question to that, He asks, what role does the local church play in training the next generation of pastors? Let's start with the first question. Is seminary training required or necessary for effective pastoral ministry? I'm going to go out on a limb and think we have the same answer, which is we've both done pastoral ministry Mm -hmm. without seminary training. Yes. I don't know if you feel the same way I do about it, which is it's not required for effective pastoral ministry. And I, I know it's weird to say that from Midwestern Seminary, as employees of Midwestern Seminary. We've both lost our jobs. <laughs> we're just we're recording this episode in Midwestern Seminary. Here, here's how I think about it, Josh. And I did ministry for, you know, two decades without seminary training. I wish that I had done it. Mm-hmm. I wanted to do it. When I was starting out and was at the age to start seminary, there weren't as many options as there are today, especially in terms of like online and things like that. We would have had to relocate. We didn't want to move. We didn't have the money, et cetera. But if I could have done it, I would have. I wanted to do it. I, I did not go because I was like against seminary or anything like that. Looking back, there are things I think, mm-hmm. oh, man, there's so much that would have helped me. Mm-hmm. I wish that I had had a class on hermeneutics and things. You know, I, you know, I was well-read. I read a lot of books. I think I was a good learner and a good student. I do think seminary, particularly just training in the languages and just the, the sharpening mm-hmm. of being, especially residential, it's just hard to, to, I guess, quantify that experience, I think, can be super helpful. But do I think, like, you can't be an effective pastor without? No, of course not. You can be an effective pastor without seminary. Yeah, I'm exactly the same agreement. I just wrote down no to either. You don't need it, nor does it make it you necessarily more effective. I actually think I would go further and sometimes say that seminary degrees can often make guys 
worse at being mm. pastors. And here's, here's why. Seminary gives you knowledge. It doesn't train you to be a pastor. It gives you knowledge. Right. So it gives you knowledge of languages, knowledges of theology, biblical overview, knowledge of evangelism practices, miss, missions. You know, I'm an academic advisor. I know all our classes. I know when they are. I know what they teach. They teach knowledge. What you do with that knowledge is what makes pastoral ministry effective. So uh, like you, I wish 10 years ago I knew more. I, I felt like my sermons were taking 30 hours because I didn't know enough. I, you know, I, If I had more knowledge, I would have been able to write them a little bit quicker and then had more time for other things. So what I would genuinely say is don't come to seminary thinking you'll come out the other end. Now qualify to pastor. You just have more knowledge. Now it's about can you do it? So a good friend of, of mine, he's just taken his first pastoral job post-seminary. And I simply said it, now's the time to do it. This is where you're going to learn, are you actually a pastor? Yeah. So I would say no, but it can be very helpful in providing knowledge. And that's where I am kind of 10 years into ministry, moving into the 11th year. That knowledge is key for me now. Yeah. I mean, I would say if you can do it, you should. You should. We have more availability access than we ever have. I know the cost of higher education is prohibitive for a lot of folks, but if you can do it, you should. It's almost a stewardship issue because of the wide availability mm-hmm. of it, access to it. In some cases, affordability, depending on your context. You know, if you're in the in the SBC, there's an SBC discount for SBC seminaries. If there's scholarships available, if you can do it, you should. What you just said, I think, leads into the answer to the second question, what role does the local church play, mm. which is the central role, yes. the key role yes. in training? Because what the church helps you do is become a disciple of Jesus. We can do, you know, we can approach the conversation about spiritual growth and and care and mm. vitality and intimacy with Christ at the seminary level, but we cannot disciple you like the church can. And we're not designed to do that. I mean, it's not, I mean, it's a deficiency of the seminary, but it's just not the design of the seminary. Mm. To, to replace the church. Yep. The church is the incubator for your spiritual growth in community, learning congregational dynamics, all the things that, quote-unquote, make pastoral ministry effective, apart from theological knowledge, but the church certainly helps there as well, or at least it should be. The, the local church is the qualifier mm-hmm. for ministry. If you're looking at the biblical qualifications, how do we measure? Like, I can't look at my students. I mean, there's some I know, like, you're an argumentative person, I guess, but I'm not a I'm not their pastor. Yeah. I, I don't see them the way their pastors do or those who disciple them do. And so, I, you know, I can't put, yeah, you're biblically qualified to pastor. We yeah. can give you a seminary degree. <laughs> I can give you an A in my class, and we can give you a certificate that says you learned all the right stuff and got yeah. all the questions right. It's the church that says you're a good manager of your household. Yeah. You, you're a patient person. You're not a drunkard. It's, you know, it's the church that's able to commission pastors. So I you know, I don't think the seminary replaces the church at all. They can play a complementary yeah. role or a parallel role. And this is why I think a lot of churches now are beginning to develop residency programs and internships and to take this more seriously. Because yeah. in my day, there, were, there weren't a whole lot of opportunities in this regard. The church didn't really take this all that seriously, at least the churches I was in, I guess I should say just to be more specific. It was, we're going to send you to seminary. They'll make you a pastor. You yeah. Know? yeah. And I would just say two practical things really quickly. One, the church is the practice ground. If you've got guys wanting to be pastors, give them Wednesday night, give them Sunday night, give them ministries that they can kind of cut their teeth in because the church loves them, so they're allowed to make mistakes. 
in a class at seminary, if you make a mistake, you're getting a B, you're getting a C, you're getting a D. Where the church, you make a mistake, they're going to lovingly help you yeah. progress. So that's number one practical, give them experience. Number two, pay for it. You know, how's the easy way to get someone to develop that knowledge at seminary when it's expensive? The church pays for it. I'm a big believer in if you have a couple of guys in your church that want to go to seminary to build the knowledge, to help them progress into ministry, dig deep, pay for it. That's how the church can practically help. Okay. Here comes a question from Matt on Twitter, or I guess, are we calling it X these days? We're not calling it X. That's it's not Twitter. Call it X. Okay, Twitter. Matt on Twitter. Do you prefer terms for elders, not talking about the lead pastor, this actually raises an issue mm -hmm. for me, but anyway, uh, or permanent appointment? What are the biblical and practical considerations for mm -hmm. your preference? I'm going to go first. Our church does have terms for elders, but not for staff, staff pastors. I just find this weird. I, I mean, I don't think it's sinful. I know the practical considerations. I don't think there's any biblical. No. I, I can't think of a biblical reference for term limits for pastors. Yep. But if pastors are pastors, whether they're paid or lay, whatever you do for one, you should do for the rest. So I'm saying it should be a permanent appointment apart from the guy's tired wants to come off or or they, you know, some sort of discipline issue, you know, they're in sin and need to be removed or something like that. I, I just don't see I think it's fine if churches have that, and I know why they do. We do so guys can get a break. We have a natural, I think it's three years. Three years, yep. Where at the end, a guy can re-up if he wants, but it's just a natural off-ramp for him to say, hey, I really would like to take some time off. It's been, you know, tiring and I need a break. But our staff pastors, yep. I mean, I guess they get sabbaticals and things, but the staff pastors are like, nope, and you know, keep yeah. going. They can't be like every three years. You know what? I'm going to take a year off. It, You know, it doesn't work that way. My preference is that you should do it the same for staff or that it should be permanent appointments, quote-unquote permanent. Of course, nothing's permanent, really, but it should be a permanent appointment. But I understand the <laughs> practical reasons for term limits, and I don't think that's like wrong to have them. Yeah. If a church in there you know, decides that it's prudent to have them, mm. totally fine with that. I agree on one and disagree on the other. Okay. So I agree biblically. I can't see any biblical context of whether there's terms or not. I don't think it states. I was thinking Acts 20, 28, Holy Spirit appoints, Titus 1, appoint elders. No time is given. Yeah. So we can't say permanent or temporary time term limits. We can't say it. So this is more of a slightly pragmatic approach when it comes to things. I would prefer terms. And again, for the natural, obvious reasons, it's a good off-ramp for age. Some people time out in age and actually just have, and what I mean by that is I know of some churches have permanent elders and they're, you know, 85 and, and you know, in a care home and I'm not being rude, but, you know, they're still an elder of the church, still getting the minutes and things like that and, and just not able to serve. So yeah. I think terms allow that. Terms also allow an off-ramp for an elder to say, you know, the church is going in a different direction than I, I necessarily agree with. It's not theologically, you know, wrong, yeah. but just I want to just be a member and not be an antagonist in this. Yeah. And um, so kind of good well, off -run. When I say permanent, I don't mean the guy could never yeah. leave. I mean, these are all grounds I think somebody yeah. could just come off come the elder off. board. Um, terms, I think, are good for rest. I don't think it should be forced. I think it's just, you know, as you say, three years do you want to rest? No. Yeah. Okay, then re-up. I think it just gives natural points to do that. Sure. I don't think one's more biblical than the other. I don't think one's more unbiblical than the other. So if this was me in your church, if your church body is in agreement with terms, go for terms. If yeah. it's in agreement with permanency, go with permanency. It's. I don't think you can really 
necessarily go wrong at the foundation level. You can go wrong in the practice of either one of these. Yeah. The, the other thing I, I could think of that I think could be helpful for maybe fresh, like let's say. Fresh eyes. So if a church in. is growing, ideally you're adding elders as you grow anyway. Mm-hmm. But let's say your church has been at the same stage for, you know, and it just seems to, you know, you've plateaued yeah. in some way. And you've got the same five elders or something, and you've yeah. had the same five elders for 10 years and whatever. And, you know, I mean, you could add more, but you think, oh, this is actually, we're going to have more elders than we need. It could be good every, yeah. in, in three years to say, hey, brother, like, well, let's bring someone else on. Let, let's freshen things up. Someone yeah. who's qualified, bring them on. We get a fresh voice, a fresh perspective. You create maybe a some inner, some more energy, a different yeah. viewpoint. I could see that as a sort of upside. I see the same term, for deacons as well. Yes. Um, so I, my last church, the chair of the deacon board was deacon for 30 years. Mm. He was great, really, really great. But when he left the church, he, he actually moved away, he moved to a different place. Uh, we had a new chair of deacon board. He brought freshness to it and tried some new things. It's not that the previous guy was bad. It was just there was some freshness. So I think I prefer terms, but I'm literally talking preference here. If you have a problem in your church with either, deal with that problem. Do you yeah. know, like if if no one wants to do a term or someone's staying on far too long, like deal with the problem. But right. I don't think permanency or terms are, are the foundational problem if you have one. Yeah, I agree. Okay, this comes from Anonymous on Facebook. They ask, how do you or how does a local church help a brother who was a pastor but disqualified himself on the road to restoration, both as a healthy Christian man and back to pastoral ministry, if mm-hmm. appropriate. But it's a heavy question. And it's mm-hmm. a question certainly that we've wrestled with personally, and it's a question that a lot of churches will face. Before I kind of dig into a fuller answer for myself, I do want to point anonymous to a post that I wrote at FTC. If you go to ftc.co, mm. the For the Church website, look up my article. It's called How to Fall in Ministry and What to Do When You Do. I've read that. How it's to really Fall good. in Ministry and What to Do When You Do. It's, it's from May 2nd, 2022. This is just a fuller, more sort of biblical mm-hmm. details than we're going to be able to do here on the podcast. The very first thing that I would say, how do you help a brother who is a pastor but disqualify himself? is that the goal cannot be, let's get you back to pastoring. Mm -hmm. That could be something that happens down the line. I I don't know what your view is yet on whether fallen pastors can be restored. I think it probably depends on what disqualified them. But in general, I tend to think fallen pastors can be restored. It's just very rare. (laughs) And I think one of the reasons why it's so rare, why it rarely happens well, is because there's such a rush. We've got to get this guy back into the platform. And, hey, we're big on grace, aren't we? So let's get this guy. And, of course, the evangelical landscape is— you know, full of guys who fell one year and the very next year they're planting a new mm-hmm. church somewhere. And the, the key is not, let's get you back into pastoral ministry. The key is, how do we get you, you know, walking with Christ in such a way that you're in a healthy place spiritually? If your marriage is broken, how do we work on that? Mm-hmm. If it's reparable or irreparable? And for someone to be restored means that they have a long track record of the biblical qualifications. Yeah. How long is long? I don't know. It probably depends on the person, depends yeah. on the, the situation. But if someone had a you know moral failing, let's say, let's say they cheated on their wife or something and committed adultery, and they're you know they're working on their marriage and that sort of thing. A year's too soon. Yep. Two years is probably too soon. Three years maybe too soon. I, I don't know. I don't know what the time is. I just think the goal is the biblical qualifications, not let's get him back in the position because yeah. what else could he do and what are his gifts are? And I just think we rush that. Yeah, I too agree. Much. I think. I agree with you at the start. This is a heavy question and it's heavy 
which ultimately should lead to that conclusion. We don't want to rush you to, to the role. Here's my thing is love the individual and then let that love progress into different things. So, yeah. so bring them to a love of Christ, to a love of their wife, to a love of their children, to the love of themselves, to, to forgive. I'm not saying forgive yourself, but to, to know that you are forgiven, to know that you can yeah. be in front of Christ unashamed and then progress into the love of the church, the love of the role, the love of serving. But it starts right at the beginning at bring them back to Christ. And so just, just practically speaking, I'm a big fan of communication. So communicate with somebody. If somebody has fallen from that role, communicate with them, communicate with them often, communicate without strings. I know a couple of guys that are in this situation and I will often text them and just say, I'm thinking about you, I've read this praying for you. How are you doing? What are you reading? How's the family? You're not judged. You are loved. Christ loves you. Don't feel ashamed. You know, just continuing to walk by their side. I don't know if you've ever experienced this. I think we've all done things in our life. We've done something wrong and then people just disappear and and you suddenly realize, oh, I don't actually have a lot of friends. I have like one or two. Yeah. Be that one or two. Christ is that friend to the awful sinner. Christ is the one that looks out and sees the Zacchaeus and sees even Judas Iscariot and still comes to their side and says, you know, the love is still here. I think of Christ restoring Peter. For one second, just ignore the restoration. Look at the interaction. It's the two of them talking next to each other. So for me, love the guy and lead him to love. Love Christ, love himself, love his wife, love the children, love the family environment, love the church, love service. Love covers a multitude of sins because Christ's love covers a multitude of sins. Yeah. And if if you're wanting to, along along those lines, if you're wanting to bring someone to a, you know, the question is, how do you help them to restoration as a healthy Christian man? So let's, we're just taking pastoral ministry off the table. Yeah. And I, I think that's the wise thing to do is like, yes. we're not even talking about that. We're just talking about your life and your marriage and your parenting and mm-hmm. whatever else. One terrible way to do this is if they have to carry around the label fallen yeah. pastor. <laughs> yeah, I, I I understand, especially if it's if they're in the same church or what have you, that this is like they've laid a a stink bomb and the stink lasts for a while, and mm-hmm. that they just have this aura, perhaps. And yet, that's not how Christ treats us. No, he comes near to the broken, particularly he does not despise the brokenhearted, those who are contrite in spirit. He comes near. He doesn't regard us as our past. Mm-hmm. He doesn't regard us as our sin. Mm-hmm. So to the best of our ability, as we still deal with maybe accountability issues or just hurt in marriage, so we're like doing marriage counseling perhaps, there's things that like we're continuing to deal with the repercussions of their sin, and yet we love them yeah. as Christ loves sinners, which is I'm not looking at you through the label of what you did. Yeah. And especially if they have expressed repentance and they've confessed and they've brought this into the light, the the restoration to the fellowship should be as immediate as as the credibility yeah. of their repentance. Gosh, we're going to come alongside you, yeah. right? We wish you hadn't done this either, but Jesus loves sinners, so we're going to love yeah. sinners. Yeah. And you know, we discipline the unrepentant, so we're going to you know, if you're repentant, we're going to you know bring you back into the you know happy fellowship of the yeah. church and work with you along the way. I think that's the way is you, mm-hmm. you kind of take the label off of them. Who wants to walk around with the label of the worst yeah. thing they ever did on yeah. their back, you know? And it's the don't continually make them feel like they have to say sorry all the time or yeah. that they have to be ashamed all the time. Yeah. You know, um, one person I just texted recently, I just kind of said to them, you know, hey, 
I'm free for a coffee. Fan, fancy having a coffee. Yeah. Would love to find out how life's going. And very clearly wanted to make clear the past is the past. Yeah, I did that with a friend you know? as well, a guy who basically blew up his life. And the first few times we got together, we're talking about this thing. I'm, yeah. How's your marriage? And, you know, things going on. And where are things going? And how are you feeling? And have you worked this out? And da 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 da. And eventually I, I texted him before the next time we got together. And I was like, hey, I don't want this to be the subject no. matter of all, of all no. of our get togethers. Let's just be, let's meet as friends and yes. be friends and, and just talk about life and yeah. let's talk about our marriages and kids, but not in, under the specter of what you did. You know, yeah. I blew up my life once. It would stink if all my friends ever wanted to talk about was how I blew up my life. And yeah. we need that to be what's the the commonality now yeah. of our of our relationship together. And and of course, he expressed like relief, like yeah. you know, because he, he's never ceased to apologize every time you get together. Man, I'm just so sorry. I'm like, like you know, like you no. already said that. Yeah. I've forgiven you. Like yeah. this is not like we're. That's not what yeah. our relationship's going to be. Yeah, you know? we're not defined by our sin. We're defined right. by our Savior, and I think that's the thing is that we shouldn't hold over other people what Christ does not hold over us. And for some, that is harder than others. Talking about a fallen pastor, maybe you're not somebody that's explicitly been involved in that, and you haven't, you know, necessarily been touched by that sin. At the same time. Be the friend of that sinner yeah. because they should be your friend because that is what Christ is to us. So I think love them and let them see the love of Christ. It's good. So Destry on Twitter asks, how can we develop a healthier balance of loving what the church is now and still having vision for what the church could be in the future? Mm. Can I start with, I've really struggled with this uh, over the years <laughs> in ministry, just always wanting, I'm the type of guy that always wants, if it can be better, let's make it better. And I've always had that. And what I had to learn was that the future may seemingly look bright and healthier in all those ministries, but the church is full of redeemed sinners, which means at all occasions, at some level, you're going to be disappointed where the church is. <laughs> at some yeah. level, yeah. do you know? Well, especially if you're a leader, you're seeing where you want to be exactly. and you're not there yet. And yeah. when you get there, you'll see that you can go somewhere else and go somewhere else and go somewhere else. I, I saw that in my recruitment career. I've seen that being a pastor. We're always going to be dissatisfied with the church at some level because the church is not yet yeah. in eternal realms with Christ. So the, the sin still tarnishes it in some level. So I would say starting place is understand that dissatisfaction does not disappear when you finally meet that future vision. Mm. But that does not mean you shouldn't seek to progress. So I've kind of noted down here, it's healthy to look at sinful situations in church and trying to recover them. It's helpful to confess. It's helpful to push into further evangelism. It's healthy to seek the lost to come to Christ. It's healthy to look at how we're serving our church and can we do things better it is unhealthy to think that that will remove some form of dissatisfaction or make you more satisfied. It's it's kind of neither. It's just serving the Lord day to day. And sometimes you'll serve better, sometimes you'll serve worse. And that's kind of how it goes. Yeah. I, I always come back with questions like this to Bonhoeffer's Life Together, in particular, the little wish dream section, which I just, I return to over and over and over again. And one thing that Bonhoeffer talks about is when you when you're fixated on the wish dream, which is basically your vision for the church you want, yeah. who you want your church to be, which is exactly what Destry's talking about here, what the church could be in the future mm -hmm. or what they should be. When you're fixated on that, you Bonhoeffer says you do not love the church where they are. Yeah. 
because you're measuring them against who they're not. And no one can measure up to who they're not, to the idealized version of themselves, to the wish dream. And Bonhoeffer says, it, you know, when you run into this predicament, it's probably so that your wish dream can be shattered. And that's a good thing. It's a merciful thing from the Lord because then you're now prepared to love the people as they are. Yeah. And this really gets to the heart of the gospel that Jesus doesn't love an idealized version of us. No. The version of us that we ought to be. He's growing us and he's committed to sanctifying us by his spirit. So that we will become better. We're not, none of us will be perfect until the Lord returns and we see as we are seen and know as we are known. Mm. But along the way, we can, we can gain ground. We can, quote, unquote, get better in certain areas and experience victory in certain areas. That's just the fruit of the Spirit growing through sanctification. And a church experiences that as well and can. We do want to see growth. We want to see yeah. you know, areas conquered. We want to see improvement, et cetera. But along the way... I don't know this is a balance so much as just remembering the heart of the gospel that Jesus doesn't show up and say, okay, but what have you done for me lately? He doesn't see us through our deficiencies. He doesn't see us through our worst moments or just our failures and flaws. He delights in us. He longs to be with us as we are. And he died for us while we were sinners. He didn't wait for us to clean ourselves up. So remembering kind of that grace given to us helps us, I think, have grace yeah, for others. Yeah, I think that's a good advice for really life itself, not just the yeah. church. I think one of the greatest examples of this is serving church members who are towards the end of their life. They have no future vision but mm. eternity. They know their life on this earth is coming to an end, and you find that they don't really care about a lot of different things. A lot <laughs> of things in life that they once cared about, they, they don't care about. I used to visit a couple... And he never wanted to talk about his career. He was an incredible guy in his career. Never wanted to talk about achievements, money, what he did in the church, how he served the church. Never wanted to talk about any of that. Just wanted to know how he can best pray for the ministry and talk about Jesus. Just loved it. And he was Mm -hmm. in his 80s. And I think something there is an example of the beauty of getting closer. I mean, Tim Keller, before he passed away, this is multiple things he was writing and speaking about was the closer I get to heaven, the more I'm focused on it. And I think I wonder if as pastors, as members of a church, do we need to live closer to heaven? Do we Mm. need to live closer to Christ? And then a lot of these things won't really matter. I mean, we talked about this in pet peeves of congregations. A lot of this stuff kind of doesn't really matter if, <laughs> if, we're, if, nothing, yeah, yeah. if we're close to Christ. So hear me when I say this, I've struggled with this. It's a, it's a battle when you see something that so evidently could be better. Mm. And you're like, but but is that what I'm here to do to make things Second principle better? of gospel centrality. Yeah. People change by grace, yeah. not by law. Yeah. Anyway, do we believe that or not? That was very authoritarian. (laughs) I'm trying to like really drive these home, man. I'm trying to stake my claim on these things. Uh, Hey, we got a couple of theological questions, which we don't often get. People don't ask us like, did Adam and Eve have belly buttons? Does that not tell you something though? Yeah, they they don't don't see us as theologians. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, a couple people ask us some theological type questions. This Mm. comes from Janelle on Facebook. What happens to your soul and body when you pass? Are you asleep in the ground until Christ comes back, or are you immediately present with the Lord in heaven? This is an easy answer for me. Same Maybe you'll complicate it. I don't know. When you die, if you are in Christ, you are immediately present with the Lord in heaven. Now, heaven is not this outer space ethereal thing. It's the hyperdimensional place where God is. It's the place where God is, which will someday subsume all of earth. But yeah, you're conscious 
how this works out, I don't know. Metaphysically, this is something that the Lord controls, but your spirit is present mm-hmm. in heaven with God. Your body is in the ground decaying or cremated or whatever, you know. Your body, she asks, what happens to your body? Your body decays and becomes from dust to dust. At the resurrection, when the Lord returns, the future resurrection, you'll receive a new body. So you won't be disembodied forever. Here's where things get, well, f- well first of all, like I just say, a different take? Or, no, yeah, fully okay. agree. And the verses I came to is Philippians 123, Paul saying to, to die is gain. To, should I leave you to be yes. with Christ? Well, and 2 Corinthians 5 eight, same thing. To be yeah. absent from the bodies, be present with the Lord. With the Lord. Uh, Luke 23, 43, Jesus speaking to the criminal on the cross. I've got it right here. To the uh, thief. Today you will be with me in paradise. So yes. there's not a lot of verses, but the verses that are there all point to yes. immediacy with Christ. Yes. So, yeah, fully agree with you. There is some questions that come from this, though. Yeah, so like I saying. have this pet theory. I'm not sold on it. I don't find it, like, all, you know, spelled out in Scripture or anything. What's the intermediate state like, and what's the yeah. nature of this? It's a higher dimension of some kind. You're in the heavenly space. Is time passing there the same way? Yeah. So I'm disembodied? Like, my, what does that mean? My spirit is now in heaven how long? And am, am I without this body? My spirit is. Yeah. And what is that? Is that just, am I smoke? Am I a vapor? Yeah, what does that look like? Process, is physical, it just my consciousness yeah. is there? I, I don't understand any of those sorts of things. But here's my pet theory. Every point converges at the return of Christ. Mm-hmm. This is a theory. I'm not going to say this as definitive as I did the second principle of gospel centrality. <laughs> when you die, this is just in my imagination. When every person dies throughout history, go back you know, thousands of years and into the future, we all converge. As soon as you die, you're experiencing the Lord's return and the resurrection of the body. I've never found anyone else who believes that except for one guy, a Welshman, actually, my friend Pete Greasley, who's a pastor in in Newport, Wales. And we were sitting around a fire actually in in Florida at a conference we were both speaking at. And we were talking about the afterlife. And I said, I've got this idea. And Pete was like, I think the same thing. And I was like, oh, man, this is awesome. So now there's two of us. Yeah, I don't know, like, all what the intermediate state experience is, what it means to be present as a spirit with the Lord. But that seems to be what the scriptures are indicating, whatever that experience is like. And certainly neither of us are believing a soul sleep um, purgatory type thing. Oh, yeah, no purgatory. The the concept that she, that Janelle's mentioning in terms of, like, a sleep in the ground— I think Seventh-day Adventists yeah. believe this. There's yeah. others that think that there's some kind of soul sleep that time is passing and you're just unconscious yeah. of that. I don't know how that works if they think like, oh, you don't know that time's passing from death is immediate to you're yeah. in heaven or so. I don't know. but Well, if, um, it, if it's the eternal realm where God is outside of time, right. therefore it can be instantaneous to us that once we die, then the new heavens and new earth. That's what I'm wondering. If like as soon as you die, you're experiencing the new heavens because and, we're and your resurrection. The questions that my girls have asked about this, and oh. you know, age nine, kind of soon to be 11 as well, what type of body we're going to get in terms of age? If you die at 80 or if you die at six, do you get an 80-year-old's body or, or six-year-old's yeah. body? If you die from ill health that you've had for years, what does your body actually look like without ill health? Uh, will you have gray hairs, which is kind mm. of like the decaying element of your hair <laughs> follicles? Do you know? Like, and yeah. I think it's a really interesting concept of you know, if if you die and your soul is with Christ, does a soul have an age? And I think a lot of these things mm. we just don't have the answers right, to. Right. But what we do have an answer to is you will be immediately with Christ. Yes. And that will be the most joyous experience yes. of all. And I know from my own father who who died when I was much younger, and he had lots of health difficulties. He used to 
like daydream about that day where he would be in an instant without pain, mm. in an instant without shame of the past, Wonderful. in an instant. And I think that is, it comes back to the restoration of the pastor, taking their mind to that, to the one day in an instant, yeah. all this will be gone and it'll be beautiful. Yes. Amen. Second, sort of, this is sort of a theological question, mm. more ecclesiological, theological, I guess. This is Bob on Twitter. How do you counsel someone from a Paedo Baptist tradition seeking membership in an SBC church? Do you or can you accept them on statement of faith? Or is the difference too great to say someone is from like faith? I guess he's basically asking because someone who's been baptized as an infant and is still of that conviction, I suppose, can they become a member in an SBC church? To me, the answer is simple. It's no. Yeah. So I was, I was going to say <laughs> And no. I would say it wasn't even a baptism is what I no. would say. <laughs> so here, here's a few things. Uh, they need to be baptized, not rebaptized. Are they non-Christians if they've been <clears throat> baptized as a child? That's not what we're saying. We're not saying they no, have no I faith. No, I think we're assuming this is someone that affirms the faith. They are a yeah. Christian. Yeah. They're just from they a Presbyterian a background or Anglican or something. Here's my thing. Mine's a no one because again we don't we would not believe that to be a, ba- a baptism right. that they've experienced. But here's here's a more kind of uh, fundamental: you're actually going to join a church that before you've even started, you disagree yes. strongly oh, yeah. with a foundational doctrine that they teach. In my view, that's just unwise. And you're wanting them to change to accommodate the you. church is not going to yeah. change that view, which means. Either you have to be content being at odds with your church, which um, we're not saying that you have to agree with everything doctrinally, but you have to be content that they're going to teach adult confessional baptism or you're going to change yourself. And and here's my simple thing. If we, if we go into the theology of it, we don't believe that that would be a baptism. We believe that is a parent doing something. Yeah. And they have yet to be baptized in their confession of following Christ and their public declaration that's why we do kind of baby dedications. The, the parent is dedicating to raise this child in a Christian home, but it doesn't make them a Christian. It isn't a statement of their faith. It's more of a statement of the parent's faith to raise the child in that home. But yeah, for me, I'm kind of, here's the three quick things. One, counsel them to be baptized. Two, if they want to be a member of your church, counsel them to be baptized. And three, if they don't want to do that, then lovingly say this might not be the best church for you. It's not judgmental. It's just saying, yeah. it's like you could do it in a business term. Would you join a company in a job when you fundamentally disagreed with one of their approach? You wouldn't do yeah. that. You wouldn't marry someone that you fundamentally disagree on strong things of life. You're allowed to disagree, but I think on some fundamentals. You, well, there are it's churches. A, it's a I mean, the question is specific about SBC. Yeah. And, so my answer is a very easy no because— Can't be a member without being baptized. Yeah, I mean, the, the baptism is so—you know, believer's baptism is so central or, or very key to the Southern Baptist and to capital B Baptist life. There are churches out there that are dual practice, so to mm. speak, and I know there's different churches in different contexts that would be more open to this sort of thing. But yeah. in places where you have options— if someone has this conviction, then they should look for a church that shares this conviction. This is a secondary issue. It's not yeah. primary in the sense that they're not a Christian for believing these things, but it does affect fellowship yeah. and covenant and community. So when they have a different convictions, for someone to come in and say, make an accommodation for me, is really coming in with the wrong yeah. spirit to the church. So, And we're also talking infant baptism. I personally don't have an issue with 
childhood baptisms. Yeah, um, yeah, and we've talked about we've that talked before. about that before. But if you're specifically talking about infant baptism, yeah, this this would be an easy no, but not an easy no to see. You know that conversation oh, sure. is going to be tough. Especially if somebody maybe yeah. they're like they're an awesome you know potential leader or something. Yeah, yeah. I can feel Bob's pain through here. Uh, okay, final question. This comes from Blake, and there's a first for us from Threads. We got a question on threads, which is really just sputtering these days. It was high-flying Twitter alternative for about two days. Yeah. And now it's just sort of like, oh, yeah, there's threads. Have That's you got 70,000 followers yet on I threads? I do not. I don't know how many followers I have on threads, but I, I know it's not near <laughs> Twitter. And I, I do post to threads, but I don't scroll. I don't no. look at anything. So whatever. But anyway, Blake on threads asks a Kind of interesting question. I thought it was interesting. Should a Christian ever self-publish a book? That's what we end on. And my answer is, yeah, why not? <laughs> my, my, so, I, when, when what, you what's sent, wrong with that? When you sent it through to me, I was like, I've never self-published a book, but you know, more like, power to you. Why is this even a question? It's I not. Think, it's not a biblical. Well, thing. there was some context. He said something like, "If all the other avenues are gone, yeah, I guess the 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 idea is, oh." You've been told no a yeah. million times. You shouldn't do yeah. this. Yeah, this is not a biblical thing. It's it, you know the Bible doesn't say yes or no. But the what I wrote down was if you've been rejected and this is you wanting to self-publish, make sure somebody else reads it. Make oh, sure yeah, yeah, somebody yeah. else has read through it all, critiqued it. Go right ahead. There's professors on campus that self-publish. You know, there's there's not. Oh yeah. My question to you though, so so my answer is just don't assume what you've written is golden, but at the same time, don't <laughs> it's fear. It's probably not if you're self-publishing. No, I'm uh, just kidding. <laughs> here's my question to you: Why have you not self-published? Is there a specific reason? Oh, you're asking me. Yeah. Why have I not self-published? I've had publishing options. Yeah. If I didn't have any, I might would think about it. Especially at a, you know, I have a platform. I do yeah. you know, travel and speak. The, the quest for me, it's more about distribution, yeah. credibility, and it, honestly, you know, finances. You get paid more from a traditional yeah. publisher than you would self-publishing, unless you just have an astronomical following or something. To me, the question, like, the only reason he would say no to this question, I think, is just out of motive. Like, yeah. what's the reason? Yeah, and is, also content. If your content well, is yeah, truly sure. heretical. Yeah, well, in, absolutely. Bin, but let's you know? just say this is a Christian person. It's a, it's a, they say it's a half-decent book and there's no heresy. Yeah, if the desire is just like, I'm going to feel validated if I have a book published or I'm going to feel like I've accomplished mm -hmm. my life if I have a book published or this is going to you know satisfy me, yep. fulfill me, then you shouldn't do it because yep. it's not you, the results are not going to be good. You're doing yep. it out of pride. But if you've got something interesting to mm -hmm. say, you can encourage the church. Maybe you have a church that you want to resource and— I mean, there's a million reasons to say yes. Yeah. I don't see any reason to say no. I yeah, I, I've read some self-published books that are absolutely fantastic. Yeah, I have as well. I've I've read I might have some, read one of Blake's. I don't know. I've read some that are truly horrendous. And we've read <laughs> published books that are great and published books that are I truly horrendous. I get sent so. a lot of self-published books, and okay. I will say a lot of them are messed up from the back cover. Like okay. the place where you think, you know, visibility, this is— the gatekeeping of traditional yeah. publishing, the copy editing's bad, yeah. the design is terrible, you know, there's, I guess, quality issues related yeah. to self-publishing a lot of the times, not all the but, time, but But a lot none of, of those are reasons why not to yeah, do it. Yeah, yeah, I, I mean, think, put it out there, why yeah, not? Go ahead and do it. Look how but, enthusiastic we are. <laughs> go ahead and do it, do I know, guess. Do you know, do you know why <laughs> yeah, my Yeah, publish your is? little book. Because sometimes we just need to have 
a sanctified wisdom. Like yeah. this is one of those questions of if your motives are in the right place and it hasn't really worked out and you want to do self-publishing, go right ahead. Go for it. There's nothing really major issue. I with mean, it. there's so. people right now publishing a million things online that, yeah. without even thinking, does anyone need to hear this? Should I even be saying this? Yeah. So the fact that you're asking the question, Blake, is probably a good indicator. Yeah. Your head's in the right spot. So yeah. self-publish, man, go for it. But that's all we got for today. That was kind of fun. Yeah. That's all right. I feel like some of these questions, I, I really enjoy answering them back. We could talk about them for so long. <laughs> I really want right. to do the the soul and the body one more. Like, Oh, yeah. But not now. Maybe we'll do a whole episode. A whole episode on that. Soul and the body. <laughs> and on that note, if you enjoy the podcast, dear listener, give us a good review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. And until next time, may Jesus be big in your church. You've been listening to the For the Church podcast, hosted by Jared Wilson, found online at ftc.co. This resource is brought to you by Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Kansas City, Missouri, where we train leaders for the church.